Welcome to the Relationship Church Podcast. Life beats everyone down. No matter your position or station in life, we all have shortcomings. Some are defined by these, while others are refined. In today's message, Falling versus Failure, our assistant pastor Olu Oshako shares the key difference between falling and failing for those who walk in God. One scripture today. Uh, we'll go through a number of different scriptures, but as far as uh, foundational, uh, it's going to be Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 16. And the scripture reads as such For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity going to read that once more and I uh, solicit your prayers. Um, the, the scripture again says, for a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. I want to start today with a couple quotes uh, from uh, some people within the sporting arena. And I say that uh, very loosely when it comes to the second, but uh, you'll understand as time goes on. The first one being uh, Sam Snead, who is a uh, PGA Hall of Famer, uh, had won record events uh, during his time playing golf. And he said that the mark of a great player is in his ability to come back. The great champions have all come back from defeat. And then uh, John Cena, uh, WWE champion, that's why I said uh, loosely uh, in the sporting arena. Uh, but what he has to say is, is, is good. He said the mark, or I should say uh, a true champion is not judged by how much he or she is admired, but by how well they can stand at the face of adversity. Now, as you all know, I am a fight fan. And uh, one thing that people who follow the sport use as a, a measurement is how a fighter responds when they have opposition. Now, you know, in the beginning, they may be mismatched and blowing through uh, their, uh, their opponents. And, you know, they look good doing it, but people want them to be tested. It's like, okay, I, I see you, you know, you, you, you're, you know, knocking out and you're submitting and you're, you're, you're uh, just breezing through all these people. But let's see what happens when you get someone who we deem to be a quality fighter. When, when you have uh, for real opposition, you know, what, how do you respond when you get hurt or when you give your best shot and that person keeps coming forward. How do you act when those things happen? You're not really considered a champion until you've been able to overcome that level of adversity. Uh, the scripture that we just read implies that really we only fail when we don't get up from our faults. What will cause us to stay down 
when we've been knocked down though. Today, we're gonna look at the lives of two people who suffered great falls around the same time and how their responses determine their destinies. Uh, the first person that we're looking at would be uh, Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples. And his fall came about when Jesus was in Bethany and the lady came in with the alabaster box. That's when Satan entered his heart or put a thought in his heart at that time. And as we read or we recount that historical event, that scripture, it says that when she began to anoint him with the perfume that was in that box, he became incensed. He, he got indignant. He was like, what? what are you doing? This is a waste. You know, and, and looking at it from at least how he presented it, you can understand what he's saying. It's like, this could have been sold and given to the poor and the amount of, or I should say the value of what her sacrifice was, was the equivalent of nearly a year's worth of wages. So outside looking in and what he's saying is like, you know what, you, you're right. You know, you're pretty much wasting all of this in one setting where this could have been sold, broken up into smaller portions and, and given to people. Uh, you know, we could have helped the poor. We, we could have done a lot more with this than what you're doing right now. However, as I stated, this is the point where Satan entered him, where Satan put a thought in his heart because though everything he was saying sound good and look good, he was not being forthright. He was not being honest with the people. See, he was the treasurer uh, for Jesus and he was stealing from the treasury. So he's thinking, okay, you, that's a lot of money that is not going in the treasury that I can't get my portion of. You know, you, you're just wasting all this money. What's in it for me? Where, where's my part of it? This is not benefiting me. And so often, especially through our walks, we've seen people who, you know, are on fire for the Lord and who, who begin to serve him and serve him with their whole heart. But when things stop benefiting them, then they stop serving. And this is what was occurring in the life of Judas at this time. It, it reminds me of the parable of uh, the sower and how the seed, you know, will fall on the wayside and the birds pick it up and it fall on the stony ground and, you know, sprout up and then the sun would come and, and, and cause it to wither, you know, but for Judas, it was more so a situation where the seed fell on thorny ground. Uh, it definitely took root because, you know, he was doing the work of the Lord. Uh, it definitely sprouted up. He was one who, uh, you know, came back and was like, Lord, you know, uh, um, uh, the, the sicker healed and, and, you know, and we cast out demons in your name. These are all things that he did. But the, the thorns, the, the cares of this world, his, his desire for wealth choked out that seed. It choked out the, the sprout that was coming up uh, from the ground. And this was not really, I mean, the, the only people that this may have surprised 
uh, would be Judas as well as uh, the other disciples. Didn't surprise the Lord because we know that at the Last Supper, he said, I'm going to be betrayed by one of y'all. And everyone was like, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And he was like, okay, I'm going to uh, give this dish to my betrayer. And he put it squarely in front of Judas and said, do, you know, do what you must. Go ahead and, and take care of what you need to take care of. Uh, and the scriptures also say that at that point, Satan entered him as well. When Judas betrayed the Lord, when he came and he brought the 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 chief priest and 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 elders to take Jesus uh, because again the, the his greed took over him when when the incident with the alabaster box happened he then at that time when Satan entered in was like okay what can I do for myself so he went to the leaders and said how much will you give me or what will you give me if I turn him over again his greed caused him to fall his greed caused him to turn away from the lord but it didn't necessarily at least at that point change his position he was yet a disciple he was yet loved by god and the way that he betrayed jesus was with a kiss it was an intimate betrayal think about just you know living your life and and, and going about everything i mean people can't just walk up off the street that you don't know and kiss you much less hug you but because of the relationship that judas had even though he came with this whole crowd you know can't came with these people to take jesus he was still able to walk up to him greet him as rabbi as my leader and then kiss him and even though he betrayed him with a kiss and jesus was like really you're going to use a kiss to betray me as you read through the different accounts of uh, uh of this occurrence at one point jesus says to him friend even though you're betraying me even though you are turning me over into the hands of my enemies who intend to kill me he yet called him friend that, mm, my God, that, that, that speaks to me so much because how often have we crucified the Lord afresh by our sins? How often have we hurt his heart? How often have we betrayed him by following after our own way? Yet in his love, he would still call us friend. I think this is a good time to just take a moment and thank God for his love that goes beyond our knowledge. Hallelujah. Glory to your name, God. Glory to your name, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, that is what happened, or at least that was how Judas fell. The other person that we're speaking about today was another disciple. And it was Peter. Now, Peter was the de facto leader of the disciples. I mean, anytime something needed to be said, Peter was usually the one speaking up and saying it. And he was one of the first ones called. When Jesus began his ministry and he was speaking to the people, he got into Peter's ship and asked Peter to push away 
from uh from the ground a, a bit push away from land a bit so that he could minister and and it was his time with peter james and john uh and and causing them to take in this this miraculous catch of fish and then saying follow me and i'll make you fisher of, of men he, he was among the first that jesus called when he began his ministry he was also the one that revealed or i should say spoke up when jesus asked who do you say that i am i i know what you say the men say that i am say that i'm elijah say that i'm i'm john the, the uh the baptist but who do you say that i am and peter is the one that said you are the christ the the son of of god he's the one that that proclaimed that he was messiah and jesus let him know that flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. God has revealed this to you. You know, so th this is kind of who Peter uh, was. However, we can't ignore the fact that Peter was also used by Satan. Just after he said what he said about who Jesus was, he then told Jesus as he began to speak of his death, oh, no, no, uh-uh, that's not going to happen. No, we're not going to allow anyone to, to kill you. And the Lord said to him, get behind me, Satan, because he understood the heart of, of Peter and what he was saying. It was like, no, we want you to be here. We want you to, con to continue to serve others. We want to continue to serve you. But Jesus came to die. His purpose for being here was to shed his blood for our sins. and. We know that, and, and we'll talk about a little bit later, about when he was in the garden and he, he prayed and asked that the cup would pass from him. It's not, in his flesh, in his humanity, he didn't want to go through it. So Peter saying these things doesn't help because it appeals to the part of him, the, the temptation that he knew he would face regarding this. So even though in one breath, he is speaking revelatory truth in the next breath he's being used by the enemy and really his desire to protect and, and keep jesus from dying is what led to his fall in the in in the end times uh, of his time with the disciples you know, Peter was like, no, no, Lord, again, we're, we're not going to let you die. You know, wherever you go, we'll, I'll go with you. I will die for you. And because Peter, again, was a de facto leader and, and possibly because of peer pressure, the others were all like, yeah, yeah, no, we'll die for you, too. We're not going to let anything, you know, happen to you. But the Lord knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to take place. And he told Peter about himself, just like he told Judas about himself he's like okay I, I hear you but before the the sun really comes up but before the rooster crows and announces that day that the day has started you're going to deny me three times oh and by the way all you other disciples who you know talking you know real big you get you got all that rah-rah going okay yeah you all are all going to run away you're all going to uh scatter at my taking and sure enough because he's god what he said came to pass 
And they needed to scatter because the people that came to take Jesus were looking to take them as well. Uh, one of them, and it's believed to be Mark, um, one of them, the, the temple guards and things went to grab them, grab their clothes. And, and unlike, unlike uh, uh, Joseph, who just ran out of his coat, this disciple had to run away and had nothing on nothing but but his birthday suit and what God gave him you know so he's running away streaking for his life because the the temple guards and things were there to take them so yes they are all scattered they are all scattered as well as as Peter did but Peter you know again doing his best to to stand by what he said he would do number one he woke up after falling asleep because he was so so grievously vexed by what was going on and, and how hard Jesus was praying it it, it it caused him to be in such despair that he couldn't even stay awake his grief put him to sleep but then when when Jesus came and said my my time has come you know he woke up and and kind of wiped the sleep out of his eye and then he started grabbing a sword and swinging he meant what he said when he said that he would not allow anything to happen to the Lord. He just didn't know everything that lied within him. And, and just as the scripture speaks about fire purifying uh, precious metals and how the, the fire of our trials does the same thing. When the heat was turned up on Peter, even though he, he was swinging the sword and, and struck one of the, the, the servants of the high priest, he yet scattered. He yet began to deny the Lord because of the threat to him. See, he, he followed after the Lord at a distance, trying to protect himself. And because one of the disciples who knew and was friends with the high priest was there, he was able to gain entry. He, he spoke to the, uh, the disciple that, that knew the high priest, spoke to the young lady uh, who was keeping the door and said, go ahead and let him in. You know, he, he's with me, let him in. So as she let him in and, and Peter was out in the courtyard with, uh, with the others that were there and gathered around the fire, you know, she was like, hey, aren't you with him? And, and Peter said, no, no, uh -uh, that's not me. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. What, what, what are you talking about? Again, the temple police are the ones that were trying to take them in the garden. So in, in an attempt to protect himself, he started denying Jesus. Like, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Who? What? Who, who are you talking about? What? And that, that specific line of questioning kept, kept on going on. Now, Peter, when he initially denied, he walked away. He, he went like out towards the, the, the door and stood there for a while to come back to try to let the heat die down because of what he was facing at that time. But yet they kept pressing him. They kept asking him. And the last person who said, look, your, uh, your accent gives you away. You're a Galilean. You're definitely with Jesus. This was a relative of Malchus. Malchus was the, uh, the, the servant or the slave in 
the garden that Peter cut the ear off of. It's like, oh no, yeah, I know that that you're with him and that you were there because you, you know, you you cut off my my cousin's ear. You wounded my people. And at that point, Peter again in an effort to save himself, start swearing and 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 cursing. Now it's not the cussing that we think of today, but he was calling down curses upon himself. So it was more so in in the means of of saying something like, "May God strike me down if I'm lying." you know, and and saying things of that nature, those are the kind of curses that he was calling upon himself if indeed he was lying, you know, and then then swearing, you know, saying, you know, by by this, I promise that that's not the case. So to put it in modern day uh, vernacular, you know, on my mama, I'm not that dude. You know, you put that on my kids. That's not me. That wasn't me. And the Lord tells us, or I should say the word tells us that we shouldn't swear by the heavens or earth, but let our yea be yea or our nay be nay, lest we fall into condemnation, which is what happened with Peter, because he he was just lying. And you know, when you lie, you got to then keep up with your lie. It, It reminds me of a commercial on Channel 24 Uh, Back in the day, when you tell one lie leads to another, you tell two lies to cover each other, you tell three lies, oh brother, you got trouble up to your ears. And that's what Peter had because he continued to lie. He continued to say those lies to try to, to, to keep from having what may have been going on to Jesus at that time to happen to him. He may have heard them beating Jesus. He may have have seeing the accusations, he, he knew what laid before Jesus. And in order to try to keep that from happening because he very well could have and should have been in that same situation by striking the, uh, the servant with the sword, he kept lying to protect himself. And then as he lied, that third time, the rooster crowed and he remembered what the Lord said to him. He remembered that Jesus told him that this would happen. As a matter of fact, Jesus looked at him when this took place. And that's really where the condemnation began to take root in Peter's heart. You know, how how often have we done the same kinds of things where we begin to to go down a certain road and, you know, the Lord will say, I don't know if you want to do that. You know, you may want to go do something else. And, you know, we say, oh, no, no, I got it. I can handle it. You know, I'm strong enough. How arrogant we are to think that we can prove God wrong. The the maker and creator of everything, the one who's omniscient and knows everything, we know better than him. We can do something outside of what he says. No, no, we can't. And when we are proven wrong, as Peter was, and as Judas was, that's when the condemnation takes place. See, the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. He, he's not the one who, who, who we should be going to or talking to when condemnation comes, but that's what happens. You know, he, he then starts telling us about how wrong we are. And, and how stupid we are 
and reminds us of the way of escape that the Lord made for us that we didn't take, even though he's the same one that's putting the pressure on us to do whatever it is that we're doing. He then with that same level of intensity condemns us, tells us how bad we are, tells us how wrong we are, talks about how stupid we are, reminds us of how many times we have done this and how just, just useless and, and just utterly helpless we are. That is the enemy's goal. That is his desire is to condemn us. And Peter felt that condemnation. He felt that, 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 that weight on his heart. Judas did as well. And Judas tried to change things by going back to the, the high priests and things and saying, look, I am sorrowful. I am wrong. What I did was not right. I feel the condemnation. Take the money back. He tried to absolve himself by using what he was given. You know, it's like, okay, if I don't have it, then, then, then I can get some of the, this weight off of me but they wouldn't take it back. He went to the wrong place. He went to, to the, the wicked ones to seek absolution when he should have been going to God. Jesus is the only one who can cleanse us of our sins. He's the only one that can relieve us of our condemnation. This is why he was born, lived and died. Did he do mighty miracles like feeding multitudes? Yes, he did. Did he do wondrous works by giving sight to the blind? Absolutely. Did he heal people of their diseases and, and their lameness? Yes, he did. But that is not why he came. He came that we might have life and have that more abundantly, and we cannot have life if we have sin, for we know that the wages of sin is death, and the only way that we can be free from the wages of sin is to exchange our sin for his righteousness, exchange our iniquity for his forgiveness, to give ourselves over to him. Let the blood of his sacrifice be applied to our souls and make us a new creation. That's the only way. Judas went about it the wrong way. He tried to go to, to the one who helped with condemning to get rid of it, but it didn't work. He tried to give him the money. It was like, this is blood money. That's money that we use to buy the death of that man. We can't take this. And Judas was like, you sure you, are, you will take this? Threw it into the temple and went off and hanged himself. He was condemned and there was no relief for his condemnation, at least not in the method that he chose to seek relief. The, 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 the chief priests and the, the scribes and the elders could not give him relief. Only Jesus could give him relief. Peter, in his condemnation, he ran off. You know, he, he ran out of the courtyard and, and you know, he, he sat with that thing for a while. And, and when we see Peter again, because there are no accounts at the, uh, at the cross, 
that Peter was there. The only disciple that we know of that was there was John. You know, we, we don't hear about him being there. He followed Jesus at a distance when he was going to uh, the, the, the house of the chief priest, but we don't see him following anymore after that. He is indeed with the disciples when the word comes that Jesus uh, was raised from the dead, but that's the first time that we see Peter after his denial of Jesus. Again, we, we see him running out of the courtyard. And then the next time we see or hear about him, he's now running to the tomb to see whether or not what the ladies have said, the, the word that the angels gave them to give to the disciples was indeed true. He was running to the truth. He was running to the savior. He was running to his source and his supply. He was running away, but now he's running too. And this is how he was able to be restored. And the Lord in his wisdom and in his love made sure to let Peter know, hey, look, I love you still. Just like he called Judas friend when he sent the word back with the ladies, the angel told them to say, hey, go to the disciples. And make sure you tell Peter, I have risen and I'm going ahead of you into Galilee. To, and, and I want to meet with you all there. He made sure that Peter knew that he was going ahead of him and that he wanted to be with him again. He is a sovereign God. He knows the end from the beginning. And many of us, like Peter, we feel the condemnation. We feel the, the, the pain of, of the sin that we have, have partaken of that has hurt God's heart and it's hurting our heart that we've hurt him. But if we are still alive, if we are still breathing, we have a chance to turn that over to God. We have a chance to, to be absolved of that by simply giving it up and giving it over to him. The Lord is not only able to pick us up when we fall, but he's also able to keep us from falling and present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Do not, do not, do not stay down in your condemnation. You don't have to be condemned. You don't have to carry the weight of the fall. He came to free us. He came to deliver us. He came to save us from the penalty of our sin. That's the difference between falling and failing. We fail when we stay there in that fallen state. We fail when we receive the condemnation that the enemy brings to us versus if we get up, if we give it over to God, if we turn away, we repent, turn from that thing and start going toward God, just like Peter ran to the tomb. If we run to the king, we can keep on moving forward. Should we be hurt? Absolutely. Should it pain us? Yes, it should. But know that a broken spirit 
and a contrite heart, the Lord will not despise. Just because you feel the pain of your condemnation does not mean that he will not restore you. When you are crushed, when you are physically distressed, when, when you are just on the outs and you don't know what to do, that's the perfect time for the Lord to move on your behalf and make a change in your life. Again, God is sovereign. He knew what was going to happen. This is the reason why he told Peter that he prayed for him, that his faith would not fail because he knew that the enemy desired to sift him as wheat. Now, we have things to sift with now, colanders and, and things of that nature. And we know that, you know, we shake stuff up to get the other stuff to fall out. But the process was a lot different during the time that Jesus was saying this to Peter. See, we, we when, when it comes in, for, and at least the, the, uh, the method that was used before the combines and things were created, that wheat, when it was harvested, was placed on a threshing floor. And on that threshing floor, it will be beaten with sticks or, or, or with a, a flail. A flail is a, a tool. Uh, it looks like a mace, uh, if you know what a, a medieval mace looks like. And uh, uh, some flails look like uh, nunchucks. Um, uh, the, the, those that are used in Asia, it looks like nunchucks, a stick with another stick attached to it and a chain. And that's used to beat the wheat. And it's beaten so that it can be separated from the chaff it's beaten so that the 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 heads can be separated and, and used and then taken uh to create flour and and to create the bread but it, it's beaten while it is on uh that threshing floor that hard place that uncomfortable place it's being beaten and not only is it being beaten but a lot of times they use pack animals to stomp all over to just walk over and crush the, the wheat in order to separate those things. And that's what oftentimes happens with us when we experience trials, we're, we're being beaten, we're, we're, we seem to be crushed, but all of that is necessary to separate us from the chaff, separate us from that which is unusable, separate us from that which has no value so that we can get to it, so that the, that the master can get to what has value, so he can get to that which is usable, so he can get to that which does nourish. And he prayed for Peter because he knew what he was gonna go through. Well, what has the Lord prayed about regarding us? Jesus prayed that we would be with him where he is, that we will be able to live and sit in heavenly places in his presence. He also prayed that the love the father had for him would be in us and that he would be in us. Again, this goes back to the reason that Jesus came. He came to die for us so that we could have the restoration of the desire relationship that he designed from the beginning of the world. This is why he told Mother Eve, told her, look, you will produce a seed 
that seed heel will be bruised by the serpent, but he will crush the head of the serpent. This was Jesus, the man Jesus that he was speaking of prophetically to Eve and to Adam. And sure enough, he was bruised. We know that the, the scripture says that he was bruised for our iniquity, that the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we were healed. So even though he was bruised, even though he was hurt, even though he had to go through on the cross, he was only bruised, but by dying on the cross, by shedding his blood, he crushed, he destroyed, he utterly obliterated sin, death, and the devil. They no longer hold power over those who have the blood applied to them. The blood could not be applied had he not been sacrificed. So he did that for us. And he did that for his disciples. And after he rose and, and met with them in, in different places, you know, just walking through walls and, and coming into uh, different rooms and speaking to them, he also met with them on the beach one time. And, you know, Peter, and sometimes people give Peter flack regarding this, like, oh, you know, Peter just went and, and start, you know, fishing. It was like, I'm going fishing again. Jesus is gone, I'm going fishing. Well, they probably didn't have any money. And if you know you can do this to bring about some level of, of uh, income and sustenance for the people, then that's probably what you need to do. I mean, Judas was gone. He was the one who had the money. So they probably didn't have anything. So he went to do what he knew to do to try to provide for the people because, again, he was a de facto leader. He said he was going fishing. Others followed him. Fished all night. Didn't get anything. Much like the time that Jesus got in his boat the first time. Again, he told him from the shore, cast your net over to, to this side. I know you haven't got anything, but cast your net over to this side and you'll catch something. And again, they brought in a miraculous haul. Peter, just like he left his boat and the fish to follow Jesus, he jumped out of the boat and swam to shore because he knew that his savior was there. And when he got there, Jesus already had some food prepared for them. There was some fish that was already broiling over the fire and there was some bread there. And the fire that was being used or, or that was kindled at that time, it was a charcoal fire. There was another charcoal fire. That's the same fire or, or the same way that the fire was kindled in the courtyard while Jesus was being accused. The Lord is so good. He is so good. Mm. Just thinking about it. And I, I, I was listening to a podcast and someone pointed that out. I was like, oh man, I didn't even think about that. You know, he's smelling the aroma of, of the charcoal fire there on the beach. And we know that a charcoal fire and a wood fire smell totally different. So he very well may have been triggered smelling that, remembering how he's, he was in front of a charcoal fire before and he denied the Lord. Yet this time, the Lord asked him, 
you know, do you love me? If so, take care of my lambs. You love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. You love me, Peter? Take care of my flock. Each time that Jesus was denied by Peter, the Lord gave him the chance and the opportunity to uh, pledge his allegiance again in love because of, of just how wonderful God is. Yeah, I know you messed up three times, but now I'm, I'm telling you three times, I'm, I'm asking you three times about your love for me. And in doing so, he inspired confidence in Peter so that Peter could go on and do what it is that the Lord called for him to do. So in conclusion, Judas was defined by his betrayal. Was he remorseful? Absolutely. Was he condemned? Yes, he was. But he then took that condemnation and he turned away. Whereas Peter was defined as a church father, he was also condemned. He was also turned away. But when the Lord said that he prayed for him, he said, after, you know, because Satan desires to sift you as wheat, he was like, when you turn back, strengthen the brethren. That's the difference. That's the difference between falling and failing. Have you, you turn away when you fall, but will you turn back? When we don't turn back is when we fail. So then Peter, again, was able to go on and do what the Lord said. He said, feed my sheep. Peter then went on to preach his word, preach uh, the, the sermon at Pentecost, which helped to establish the church, and then went on to continue to preach the word uh, in Judah, in Judea, in Samaria, going out wherever it was that it needed to go out. Peter was able to stand boldly and proclaim, thus saith the Lord. He fell, but he turned back to the Lord. And we know uh, as Romans 3 uh, tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. However, in John, or I should say 1 John, chapter one in the 19th verse, it tells us that if we confess our sins, if we turn back and turn them over to the Lord, that he is faithful and he is just, he's righteous. And in his righteousness, he will forgive our sins. I want you to take this with you today. What it says in Romans chapter eight, verse one, there is therefore now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to be condemned. You don't have to carry the burden and the weight that comes along with falling short of the glory of God. We need to turn it over to him and let him carry it. We're no longer condemned as long as we stay in him. God bless you. That is the word for today. And I turn us back over into the hands of our pastor, Ryan Neal. Amen. 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 Thank you, Brother Olu, for a wonderful word. Um, so important for us to understand 
that difference between uh, being convicted and being condemned. Uh, but just like we talked about um, earlier in our scripture in First John, that you know, condemnation, fear, those things have to do with punishment, but the conviction of God, uh, that has to do with love. So we thank God for his conviction because uh, that's how we get it together. That's how we get it right. Uh, and conviction may not always feel good in the moment, but the key difference between conviction and condemnation is that even though conviction doesn't necessarily feel good, you realize that there's hope. You instantly know that there is hope. Yes, I have sinned. Yes, I have messed up. Yes, I have made a mistake. But there is a God who is faithful, who is standing by, and he wouldn't even waste his time bringing my sin to my consciousness if he didn't intend on and wasn't set on forgiving me. Scripture says in Romans 1, he said that he turned them over to their own minds and to their own consciousness so that they could do the things that seemed uh, uh, a disservice and unpleasing to themselves. But he got to the point where he just turned them over to do what they want because they wanted to do their own thing, and he just let them do that. But when God is showing us our sins and showing us our mistakes, then like Brother Olu said, it, it is a conviction. And yeah, Peter didn't feel real good when Jesus looked at him. But unlike Judas, he didn't go and kill himself. He, he went, he, he held on. He held on and he was restored by Jesus as opposed to Judas that Brother Olu brought out so, so wonderfully that he went to the wrong people. You know, he had some kind of desire to repent as well, uh, but he went to someone who could not help him and he allowed condemnation to take him over and guilt and fear to take him over to where he felt hopeless. And he said, I've just got to kill myself. And so we want to make sure that we are not uh, allowing ourselves to be overcome by those types of emotions, but saying, okay, God, I failed. I've fallen short. I've made a mistake. Oh, but I thank God that there's a loving God standing by who is faithful and just to forgive us. Amen. Amen. We pray that today's message has been a blessing and makes an eternal impact on your life. Come join us live on Sundays via Zoom. Our services start at 12.45 p.m. Central Time. The login number is 314-720-8880. You can call that same number to reach someone on our ministry team or text the word CONNECT there to be in the know regarding upcoming events. Again, that number is 314-720-8880. We are Relationship Church. Come grow with us.